0: Welcome to the WCAPS Five podcast series. WCAPS is an online community dedicated to
1: strengthening the leadership and professional development of women of color, specializing in the fields of peace, security, conflict transformation, and foreign policy. Join us as we unpack their valuable perspectives, learn from their strategies,
0: and grow together. Five, vision, impact, voice,
2: well, hello everyone. This is the Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security, a seat at our table, podcast number three. Uh, and we've been having these wonderful conversations with the women who are, jo- we're joined by today on how to combat racism and discrimination in the peace and security field and how to advance diversity, equity and inclusion. And today we have chosen a very timely topic to talk about. Uh, we've recently just seen the election results come through and uh, wanted to get a little bit of an initial reaction from these women who initially had reacted to all the things that have been going on this year in our country. and we thought that it was it would be good to bring them back to have this conversation as well. So we'll go ahead and, and start off with introductions. My name is Warda Amir. I co-chaired the WCAPS Chemical, Biological, Radiological, Nuclear Policy Working Group at WCAPS, and uh, I also am uh, working at the U.S. Department of State. Uh, my views are completely in my personal capacity. I will pass it on to Lauren.
3: Hello, everyone. Good to be here again for our third podcast. I'm excited for this conversation and to yeah hear everyone's reactions. And I'm also here today as a, as a member of the CBRN WCAPS Working Group. We'll pass it along to Erica.
1: Hi there, everyone. I'm Erica Wolf. I'm excited to be reunited. It feels so good. (laughs) Um, With you all again for our third podcast, Um, I am a policy analyst at the Department of Energy's National Nuclear Security Administration. But like uh, the other ladies, I am here as a private citizen
2: and the views that are expressed here are those of my own and not those of my employer. I'm um, excited to get started. Passing it on to Sarah.
4: Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Sarah Plana. I am now a pre-doctoral fellow at the Belfer Center at the Harvard Kennedy School, but I'm doing my PhD at MIT in security studies, and I am a ple- pleased to be a WCAPS at-large member. really excited for this conversation with all of you. So passing it to Liza.
0: Hi, everyone. My name is Lisa Arias. I am also here as part of WCAP's CBRN working group. And I'm so excited to join all of you wonderful
2: people for this conversation. All right. Awesome. This is such a wonderful group. It's always great to reconnect with these women. And I think it's this is the group of women that we have talked about, you know, how we felt following the killing of George Floyd. This is the group of women that we've talked about such important issues recently, Lauren and I. Uh, we're joined by Nabila Jamshed. We talked about, you know, a colorism in the South Asian community. So we really hit on deep topics. And I really hope that right now when we kind of explore what our reaction was, I, I want us to kind of revisit that place, go back a couple of weeks um, when the results were kind of, you know, popping in. I don't know how much you guys were following. I know I was glued to CNN and and just just media outlets constantly trying to you know, see the numbers come in. It's been a very different year and it was definitely a different election. And um a one that was definitely kind of extended a little bit longer, a stressful year, maybe a stressful election. But I wanted to kind of get your initial reactions, um, going back to that week. What were you feeling? What were you thinking? What were the thoughts in your head? And I'll kind of open the floor to anyone who wants to jump in first? I can go ahead and start. I think this
0: year has been exceptionally difficult for so many folks. And really the past four years, I was really struck reading a piece that mentioned how difficult it is to recognize how difficult something is in the middle of crisis or hardship. And I definitely felt like that was my initial reaction on Saturday morning when I found out uh, the election results, and It was called I hadn't realized the depth of what I was feeling over the last five years really. I count twenty fifteen as the start of all of this. Um, but I think a lot of people really underestimate how incredibly hard these last years were. I think it's a constant struggle to not think about the overarching, you know, kind of negativity that follows you all over the place. As you see they're all people who value government and our institutions and due process and the rule of law. And I think that you're not only experiencing that personal hardship, but also that heartbreak that comes to seeing where your country is being pushed.
1: Absolutely. You know, that week, although, you know, it's only been a couple of weeks, but, you know, as was mentioned, you know, I don't know if it's because of the time that we're in now, but things do feel like they have just drawn out in some ways, too. And like, you know that that uh, much time has gone by, and in some ways, this election does seem to still feel like it's you know dragging out, right? So you know, as I really think about that week, much like you were, I was I was glued to the screen as if we needed more screens in our lives. <laughs> I was I was glued to the, glued to the television, and you know, just really watching all the results come in. I, I remember just being hyper aware to all the details that were coming in through that, you know, sort of leading up. And then, you know, just the hours following, you know, I'm just had my my second child. And so my son is a little over two months. And, you know, even in like, you know, midnight feedings, I'm like, I go and grab my phone, you know, because I'm just wondering, like, what is going to happen? And I think you know, it's much like this, maybe in times of crisis and times of uncertainty that you are really kind of looking for any ounce of hope, you know? And so I think, you know, as results are coming in, it's your emotions are just so tied to all the pieces of information and, and just being really, I remember just being really present in the moment and, uh, you know, in that sense, it, it felt as if it was dragging on quite a bit, but wow, what, what a year, what a tremendous time <laughs> that we are in almost too much and over, it's just completely overwhelming at times. So yeah, I just, I just remember to your, your question where just being really, really aware of every, you know, ounce of information that was being put out and, and following the results for sure. Yeah.
3: I'll jump in and, and- resonate with both of what Lisa and Erica have said um though I, I think I had a different reaction to how I you know coped with all of the the ups and downs because you know like like all of us at different points during the the days that felt like multiple weeks between you know the election night and <laughs> and um the results being called on the Saturday it just felt like uh, I felt like I was you know on like a roller coaster of different outcomes and we just really didn't know like where to you know it felt like very shaky ground at the time so Um, Interestingly, my my reaction, maybe this you know says something about me, was to kind of like zone out a little bit and say, okay, you know, tell I told some friends and family this, like I want to know like the major things. I don't want to (laughs) know every little detail because it's gonna like have me going like this during the day, uh, up and down basically. (laughs) So that was my my reaction during those couple of days. Yeah, and you know, going into work and kind of being in a different you know kind of stable universe there, and leaving work and. Catching up on the, on the latest news, so it was it was a quite interesting week having to be in like very different headspaces and mental spaces. But um, yeah, my, my reaction on on election night actually was like to take a walk with a friend. We're like, we're gonna go walk for a couple hours and we'll <laughs> come back and see where things were. Just to yeah, just to hammer home what um, both of you all have said about how uh, stressful stressful of a year it's been. Like we all had to figure out you know ways to cope and react to the the news. Just keeps on coming maybe it's is jumping ahead a little bit, but I think it's also so interesting that, you know, the election night or the election week, I guess what it became felt like, you know, it should be this inflection point. But like Erica was saying, the, you know, things can news continues to happen and move along. And you realize, you know, just how long term and how big the challenges are that the next administration is gonna have to face. So it's, you know, you have your moment where you where there's some some finality related to the election. And then it's like, okay, well, now there's so many things that need to be addressed and tackled going forward. And that's kind of the headspace that I'm in right now.
4: Yeah, I guess I just would also agree with, with what's been said, and especially Lisa's point about the collective stress we've all been under was something that we have just gotten used to for for five years. I think you're right, Lisa, it's been like five years. And on the Saturday when the, when most news outlets declared the winner, I almost didn't want to believe it yet, or like I was in a bit of shock and then allowed myself. I think that it was a sort of defense mechanism. You know, I don't want to hope because I've been dashed for five years. And it's sort of a wonder how we can get through At you know, how resilient people are, like they develop defense mechanisms. Um, but also the fact that we've been learning how to live in this world for for a long time and it's going to take some time to like relearn a new normal. I don't necessarily I I you know hope that it will get back to something before but it, you know I think we have a lot of challenges left. But once I allowed myself to celebrate, I think I just kept thinking about so many people in my immediate life whose lives are going to change for the better, and I do know that the new Biden Harris administration is going to have a lot of challenges, and and not all of the problems that we like collectively in America face are going to be solved by this administration or can be solved by this administration. But I, so much, I, I know so many people whose concrete lives were like on the brink of being completely disrupted, especially um, friends of mine who are immigrants. Who are just like not facing that threat anymore. And that is so, so wonderful. And so I just kept thinking about that and also thinking about how many amazing people are gonna flock to this administration to try and make things better and how it's just, it's hard to make ourselves hope, but there is some hope, I think. And like we can try to allow ourselves to hope a little bit.
2: (laughs) I I wanna speak to, that sense of relief uh, that Saturday morning hits. And, and, you know, we finally, these results come through Biden's the president-elect, Kamala Harris is our new VP-elect. There was a sense of relief. But also, I think there was a very historic moment and, you know, the glass was shattered. I guess I want to really, there's there's a couple of questions I, I have in mind, but probably the one I want to ask, one of the very beautiful things on that Saturday, I remember, was the first, for the first time a feeling of, we've seen something we've never seen before in our lifetimes. I got to see young girls from my community, just basically staring at their TV screens and for the first time seeing some woman of color who will be leading this country. And we talked a lot. I, I know Kala Harris herself kind of mentioned the impact this would have on little girls, but what impact has this had on each of you? And I, I just want to turn that back over and 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 kind of let's talk about the importance of representation.
0: I can kind of jump in here. I mean, I think there is no way to underscore how impactful that was to see. Um and I think especially having the first woman in the White House be a woman of color, it isn't lost on me that that is historic in itself. I think when you look at the movement to get the vote for women, you see how the efforts of women of color, especially black women, were kind of shunted aside because it wasn't the right time. And I did not think that to be quite honest, after twenty sixteen in my lifetime, that was something that I would see. And perhaps that is kind of the hopes that were dashed that election night and kind of what Sarah was saying earlier about it being difficult to hope. But I really do think representation matters. I mean, for the little girls who are five, six years old, and this is one of their first political memories, I think it's it's going to change the notion of what is possible for so many kids from such an early age. And that is so critical.
4: And for little boys, too. I saw someone on Twitter saying it's really important for everyone to be seeing this. Um, And I, I mean, I constantly tear up when I think about (laughs) Kamala Harris in the white house. Um, It means so much. It, It means so much that she's a woman of color. It means so much that she's a black woman. It means so much that she's a daughter of immigrants. I mean, I think a lot of us can see a lot in her and, yeah, I I don't. It's hard to put into words how much it means. Except I'm just so excited, like what Lisa was saying about making this a new normal, and hopefully finally <laughs> at some point shattering the the ultimate glass ceiling.
1: Sarah, I I want to just you know hone on a point that you made and this idea that you know Kamala Harris really. Um, speaks to so many of our stories in so many different ways. I mean, I think many of us see so many different things, right? Um, And that's, I think that's the beauty of women of color in general is that, you know, our stories are just so multifaceted and there's so many layers that, you know, there's almost something that any and everybody can identify with as it relates to maybe stories of our families, our parents, or even our own, you know, stories of, you know, just triumph and or being in places where, you know, you just may not feel um, like you belong or just the daily struggle of, you know, maybe feeling like you have something to prove or not prove anything at all. And so, you know, for me, I mean, obviously, like I, I could really see her and think, You know, and see her and feel proud just as a Black woman. But I'm also wearing my Howard sweatshirt tonight (laughs) because, as a graduate of, you know, a historically Black college and university, you know, and her being a fellow Bison as well, I think I was really proud, you know, to see, you know, that. Uh, that false allegation shattered that, you know, going to an HBCU or a minority serving institution doesn't prepare you for the real world. And she is just a direct representation that that is, that is just its fault. And, you know, to be amongst people, you know, uh, or be amongst, you know, folks that can identify with you culturally, that it doesn't strengthen you, or that, you know, you can't be proud of who you are and proud of your background. And, proud of your family and still succeed in other spaces. And so I think that for me that's that feeling of relief or even that feeling of hope that I cling to is just, you know, once again I think just at the highest level of our government saying that, you know, you you do belong, you do have something to offer, you can lead a country of that's made up of people that might not be a majority of the, you know, you're of the people or, you know, group that you belong to, that at the end of the day, it's about these democratic values that we all stand for. And so I just, I am just, I was so proud in that moment. And I think um, that is the relief, you know, for a moment, it, it felt a little bit easier. And it's not to say that you know, the struggle doesn't continue because I think it's a daily effort, (laughs) you know, in the spaces that we all occupy, but it's it's just something else that we can sort of look to and something that doesn't need to be said that, you know, our, we are not limited by our color. We are not limited by the perceptions or the history that we've had in this country. Yeah,
3: Erica, you're so right that we can all see ourselves. And I mean, I really, I feel like America should be able to all see ourselves in Kamala Harris. You have the Howard connection. I have the California African-American woman (laughs) connection. I've watched Kamala Harris for years, you know, as our former attorney general. um, And then it was groundbreaking when she became our senator a couple of years ago. And then now, you know, to launch, to be launched, you know, to this position is truly incredible and inspiring. Um, But I think the funny thing is about my, you know, when when I think about her and the fact that she's, you know, now the vice president elect, and, you know, I think about all of us, like, I don't even think it, it's not even surprising that we have it in us, you know, as women of color to reach the the heights and have the the career and path that she's had. Like there's, you know, before 2020, Black women were Black, Asian American, all all women of color were like absolutely capable and qualified and able to take on this responsibility. And, you know, I, I think about all of us and like where we're going to be in, in several years and how much better, you know, this country is going to be when we're in charge. But I think what was most surprising and probably for many of us was whether the broader America <laughs> was, was ready or willing to elevate her, you know, to the highest position ever held by, by a woman, not even to mention a woman of color um, in this country. So that that was what was most surprising to me. And that gives me hope like you were saying Liza you know and you Sarah too I mean who would have thought years ago that we would have gone from where we were where we are now so I think it just you know where where else can can uh, women of color go? you know now we're vice president I mean obviously uh, in the future I hope we have a president, but uh like literally the sky is the limit now like it's it's incredible so it's really really inspiring to me. there's nothing that we shouldn't be able to do or or um, there's no place there's no position that we shouldn't be able to see like ourselves in. That, that's what I take from it.
2: I just love some of the kind of emotion I heard in your voices, kind of just hearing your reflections and stuff. And uh, for me personally, too, uh, this is this is a conversation happening amongst a group of women of color. I mean, she means some, the, it, what Erica said, I think I want to pull on that a little bit more. There's parts of her story that resonates, I'm sure, with each of us in some capacity. And uh, for me personally, that was, kind of just reading or learning a little bit more about her background was the fact that she was daughter of immigrants. Uh, and I personally, being a da- like, you know, daughter of two immigrants, I don't think there's, I don't know if people recognize unless they're kind of put in those shoes. There's some things you think you can't do. You grow up thinking they're not spaces for you because of who you are or what circumstances you were born into. I do not, you know, I, I was born to two Pakistani parents. I don't think I could have ever imagined being in kind of the national security government space, let alone seeing someone who's been through a a similar story that resonates with my own, but has made it all the way to, you know, the highest levels of leadership in this country. And that's such a, that I hope shows the next generation of girls who will grow up, you know, to kind of see this as an example. That they can go further than what I thought I could go myself personally when growing up. And, and I think that's, there's some power in that. And I don't know if people recognize, uh, we can talk about the policies and the politics all day long. But what, what really it comes down to is down to the human level that there's so many Americans who probably felt more hopeful by seeing how this election went. And just to, to speak back to that sense of relief that Lisa kind of talked about earlier, I think that sense of relief was a sense of we finally have representation. I don't think I realized how much I had internalized for a while, not necessarily feeling represented. And I think this really changes that. And and that's not just because of, you know, what we just because Kamala Harris has become VP elect, but also just general rhetoric and policies and the hope for a change for more inclusive and, and, and policies. To which I do wanna kind of throw out a question to all of you. We in WCAPS are always advocating for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we have initiatives like the organization in Solidarity Initiative, where organizations are coming together to combat racism and discrimination. And they've made these commitments as of the summer. What do you think that this election and the way it, it has gone, what does this mean for our goals of advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion and within the national security space and beyond? And I will open the floor back up for you to share your thoughts on that. It's a, it's a good
3: question. I was just thinking, I mean, I think the representation point that we've all hammered home on, on is really important because I think it trickles down from the top or, it, you know, it hopefully will. If you've got um, a woman of color as vice president, um, I think it's only you know, probably natural that you would expect to see, uh, you know, more people from diverse backgrounds all throughout government. And I definitely know that that was a that was a campaign promise of the uh, you know incoming president elect and vice president elect. So I think just explicitly in terms of rhetoric um, and, what, and their commitments. That you know we we should um, expect to see that, and/or we should expect to you know hold them accountable to you know following through on on those promises. So I think it'll ideally kind of trickle down, and it doesn't you know change doesn't happen overnight. Um, there's a massive civil service and all those kinds of bureaucratic factors that um, make change slow in government. But hopeful, hopeful that if there's um, high level support for seeing um increased diversity that, that is you know a change that we'll begin to see over time
0: i also think that this election drew upon so many people i mean you didn't necessarily have what a lot of people talked about in the beginning like we're going to switch republican votes what you had was more communities of color more people coming out more young people coming out and voting and so i think that that level of engagement i mean i drove down to wilmington on saturday night to hear the speech and The crowds that were out were so diverse, so reflective of the America I know. And I overheard so many conversations between young kids, high school age kids, where they were talking about flipping the Senate in Georgia. They were talking about, hey, Kamala is the vice president and they sometimes become president. So Kamala could be the next president. And these were two young men just talking about this like it was the most natural thing. And I think that that is honestly one of the greatest takeaways for me from this election that young people are seeing that representation are becoming engaged or seeing these spaces as something they can aspire to. And so their argument that there aren't enough people of color, not enough women, not enough young people to draw from in the the talent pool, I think that's going to be rendered moot or the fact that now you have so many people starting to think about this when they're in middle school and they're in high school trying to determine their career path based on this new influx of information they're getting. And that I think is going to be a powerful, powerful result of this election that, we're probably not going to see for a few years, but I, I really do think you'll, you'll ask people 10 years from now, hey, we got you interested in this, and at least some are going to point to this election.
4: I also was thinking when Lauren was talking that the campaign promises and the you know, speculation about who is going to populate national security positions and seeing so many diverse people on the slate is not only important for representation, but actually quite practically important for mentorship and for pulling people up. So I think this is, it's, that's another sort of benefit of, about putting people in. It's not just diversity for diversity's sake, but it's actually to make sure that there is a pipeline for those perspectives to not only feel like they belong, but also to like practically be able to reach positions that maybe before were closed off to them through pathways like mentorship.
1: Absolutely. And I, I also, you know, I think about, you know, this was so so monumental um, for us in the United States, but I, I also think about, you know, the world was watching, you know, this election as well. And I think that, you know, when you have um, diversity in, in those highest offices, I think about what that means for our allies, what that means for those outside of the United States. I think it sends a very clear message about, you know, who we are, who continues to make up this country. And, you know, when you also look at, you know, the makeup of, you know, who's voting and some of the images that may not have been traditionally or frequently seen abroad about, you know, the makeup of of those who are voting and, you know, how, you know, looking at Georgia, you know, of all places, like, you you know, you think a lot about these like large cities, right, like New York, L.A., you know, who always get you know these these prime time um you, you know you get these huge images but a place like Georgia right like having the the world kind of think about you know Georgia and who makes up Georgia and and Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms and you know just I thought that that was really interesting those images that are now being portrayed around the world about just a constant reminder um, that this is this is what the United States truly looks like. Yeah, it was was it was really interesting.
2: And also, you pull on that a little bit more. You know, we again going back to that election week, we were we were looking at numbers. I think when when these campaigns and stuff, they look at things in terms of like numbers. They're trying to do the analysis of, of if they're going to win. We look at look at this, the map in terms of the electoral college. You know, but really it comes down to voters. It comes down to people. It comes down to a turnout. People who were probably more engaged this year. We had record numbers of voting, record turnouts. I, I, I do think, like Erica was just saying, what happened in Georgia, you could see it in terms of like, you know, just the number of votes that were counted, being counted, like the mail-in ballots were being counted around whatever counties, uh, Fulton and Cobb County and so on and so forth. Or you can look at that as people actually mailed in their ballots they actually thought this year that they wanted to make their voice heard what we try to do when we talk advocating for diversity equity inclusion that is the these perspectives the unheard perspectives the unheard voices to promote them and push them forward do we i'm really curious as to kind of uh what are the thoughts on generally uh this change that we saw this election, because I think we need to credit those voices. There's so much noise about, you know, voter fraud and other things, so on and so forth, which I think takes away from the power of people's voices that they marked just by by marking their ballots. That was their power of their voice. And so I really just wanna kind of, let's take a minute to acknowledge some of that. and, And I wanna hear your perspectives as well on how you felt this election. What did this mean to your community?
1: I love that. I'll uh, just jump in here and, and kick things off, and I'll kind of start where I where I ended and talk about Georgia. You know, Stacey Abrams. I think a lot of people um, became more familiar with her, but I, I'm a huge fan of Stephen Colbert, and so I watched her and uh, her interview with him. And you know, it was so interesting. Um, and I, I'm I think she she talks about this in her recent book as well. But you know that. For her, it wasn't a huge surprise that it was method, you know, it's something that has been, they've been working on for quite some time and how methodical and all the legwork that was done in Georgia and going to certain communities and getting, you know, those uh, popular culture figures involved, just really at the grassroots level. Um, and, you know, everyone was just, I was, I was so proud to see the commitment of those in the African-American community, um, those in the Black community um, from talk show hosts to radio host. But I mean, I think that the effort was something that I saw that started, you know, really early on in a way that I don't remember happening in so many aspects of our society. You know, it wasn't just happening, you know, in places like our churches where, you know, who, you know, our Black churches have been just, staunch just really long time committed spaces where p- political views are expressed very freely, um, very poignantly and directly for the Black community. But we saw that now, it, you know, it was also happening on basketball courts, you know, with the NBA stepping up and doing a vote campaign and the NFL. I mean, there were so, so many places where people were saying, get out and vote that we hadn't seen before. And so we saw other figures adopting, you know, adopting the campaign that we may not have been used to. And that meant that we were reaching segments of society that, you know, may not have been, just may not have been given the the attention that, they deserved in terms of communicating the importance of why, you know, your
3: voice matters. Yeah. I think that's, that's really powerful. I'll take a couple more minutes, to like hype up the black community <laughs> and, uh, you know, the impact of not only just this election, but I mean, we can, we can go on and on and on, you know, throughout history, how important has, it has been, you know, but that the black community in general, you know, with, with some exceptions has voted as a block um, or for, you know, throughout the history of this country and how powerful that collective voice is. Like we saw it even in, you know, changing the course of just the, the um, democratic primary season and absolutely, you know, in the course of changing, you know, this election. And I think the one, of maybe one of the um, takeaways from that is, you know, even, not even just in the black community, but we hear this as young people too. Um, and there's been, you know, so much concerted effort to kind of downplay the role of government and how important government is and, you know, kind of to make people feel that, you know, your vote or the, that government doesn't really matter, you know, whether uh, that doesn't really affect your your life. But I think that we saw that that message has not been resonating, or at least, um, you know, people, the African-American community and others, like, actually said the exact opposite. Like, this really does matter. And it matters so much that I'm going to, you know, call my friends, my family, you know, make sure that we are <laughs> all expressing our voices. And we saw that absolutely in, um these predominantly Black cities that, you know, for example, when we look at Georgia, I think that many of us would have tended to look at, you know, the state as, I don't know, as somewhere that doesn't necessarily reflect, you know, the views of the, of the Black community. But we now, you know, have seen that narrative reverse that, uh, you know, Black people. Black community may be um, concentrated in certain urban centers, but those urban centers, like, speak very loudly and can set the tone for the course of uh, politics and of, like, discourse dates that we didn't necessarily think of in the past. So I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, now that we, like, have seen on our, even just in this year, like, the power of the American, American community's voice, I don't think people like Stacey Abrams and many others are going to um, let that momentum not carry forward. And so I'm just, I'm excited to see what it looks like in the future.
4: I think I'll just add, I mean, I think what Eric and Lauren were saying were fantastic, but I think I would just add that they should get a special credit for just how difficult it was to vote in this election and how, especially given just how much dissatisfaction there is in voting a lot of the time, it is quite remarkable that the people who are often at the, have like facing the most difficulty to vote, took it upon themselves to to come out in droves and take the extra 10 steps that it took to do it. I just think like it's just remarkable and, and should be um, should be
0: lauded. Agreed. I think all of you have touched upon some really important parts of the selection. And I just hope that that outreach continues and that Stacey Abrams' approach to this kind of percolates throughout the rest of, um our country's leaders because communities who are struggling should not just be reached out to every time there's an election. And I think that there's a lot of um, kind of blame that goes around when communities don't show up to vote or don't vote in the way that people expect them to, when in reality, we need to turn that mirror around and, and kind of reflect on the way in which we approach people and the way that that often comes across as transactional and condescending and so I, I really hope that that conversation continues beyond this year.
2: I love what you just said, lisa. and And I will say I think there are definitely some communities that feel forgotten and and I think the election cycles kind of help, you know that there's that moment where you get a little bit of attention, but you're like, okay, let's keep this constant. and and I and I do think that that sense of relief we were talking about again was just, I I do feel the the way we saw people vote, the way people kind of in a very difficult election year, like what Sarah was saying, so hard to vote in some places more than others. The lines that people were standing in during a pandemic. And I I just I think it's that shows the amount of energy and the effort that you were willing to take to kind of make your voice heard. Like we I definitely have to commend all those people who kind of went out of their way to do that. But I, I, do hope that we can kind of reach a place where we, we, we are addressing the needs of these communities. We are kind of, you know, making sure that they are being represented by policies and, and by, by the way, in the way we kind of run our government and, I, I think this is a moment of hope. So I know we can, if we start looking forward, it's like there's so much work to be done. There's still so much struggles. Our problems just haven't gone away just because of the results being here now. But I think it was very important to just take a moment to celebrate and acknowledge the change, uh, and, and be hopeful, even if, even if for just this moment, uh, because that's the hope we kind of need needed to, I think, a revival of to be able to, be hopeful that these things will uh, slowly get better with time and and because you know we are nearing the end of uh, end of our podcast as well i did want to turn it back over to everyone and, and just kind of ask you what kind of hopeful message do you have and is is there something that we haven't talked about about this election that you want to talk about and a message that you want to share with anybody who's listening it's been stressful and i guess this this would be the moment to kind of just make sure we end on an optimistic, optimistic note um, and, and just you know look forward to another four years of a, a new administration. So passing it over.
4: So this isn't really an optimistic note, <laughs> but I actually just wanted to, to ask a question if that's okay. And I know that I didn't want to derail uh, Bordeaux's really good question. So feel free to not take the bait, but especially just because all of us are experts in national security, I'm just really curious what takeaways you take from your expertise from this election. What should we as a community of women of color in national security be taking into our work or tangential work? And I was just thinking about this because so I'm from South Florida, and one theme of the election for me, which is interesting in terms of just from national security perspective, was the role of misinformation in the election, and not just foreign misinformation, right? It's just sort of domestic swirling misinformation, but. The idea that we really don't know what to do with misinformation, and it can and has been a national security threat in the past, and it it reared its ugly head in South Florida quite a bit. There was a really good Miami Herald article about Cuban-American communities, which is my own community, Colombian-American communities, and other communities in South Florida, sort of taking misinformation and running with it and, uh, and just acknowledging that that is a a problem that we face, though I don't have a lot of the answers. Um, But I was wondering if those of you who also follow the election so closely and also were thinking with the national security lens, if there were any other takeaways, positive or negative, you know?
0: (laughs) I'll take that faith. Um, So I love that you talked about this information because that is something that I've been thinking about so, so much, mainly because my interest is in emerging technologies, the way we implement technologies and the law, and I've really been brainstorming about how do we educate people on distinguishing between what is fact and what is not. And I, I also don't have any great answers, but I am hopeful that as we are seeing the effects of this play out and how close we have come to the brink, that we're going to take a more active role in not just reacting to false posts and saying, by the way, this information that was shared is not true. We need to start earlier and being more proactive rather than merely reactive. And so for me, that always has an education component. I think so much of every societal issue boils down to education and the way we mentor and teach our youth. And so I've really been thinking about, do we start implementing courses as early as elementary and middle school to train kids in how to interact with social media platforms? What the effect of that is not only on disinformation, but also mental health. And the ramifications of this are just so widespread. Um, so that's that's one thing. And, I, and I'm i very hopeful as well um, in terms of the election and what candidates it pushed forth initially in the primary. And I think that as national security, um, people who are focused on national security, we should really be thinking about how we take that room that a lot of these candidates made for us to implement more creative solutions and really try to move the ball forward on some of these issues that have kind of been addressed by a certain status quo
3: for decades. I think now is the moment to make real change. Yeah, I'll just snap to that. Ditto, everything. <laughs> no, <laughs> no additional thoughts.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, the space I occupy um, within um, national security and nuclear security is um, just uh, governance and management and looking at organizational development. And I, I think there are so many lessons. I mean, I could, talk just mainly just about leadership in general or general and what that means for culture within an organization. But for me, I think division, you know, it was really You know, while there was a lot of hope, obviously, and maybe in the outcome for some, there's also another, you know, an acknowledgement that there is quite a long way to go and the country is extremely divided. And as we, if we look into our organization, you know, no matter the space you occupy, whether that be within private industry, um, the nonprofit, or even public spaces, this plague of division. And I call it a plague because it can really eat at an organization that is really working towards a mission. And so, you know, one of the things that I think about just moving forward is, you know, how we are still continuing to maybe close the gap in some of these spaces, how we're bridging the divide, and how we really are sending a message of unity, um, and how that is truly, you know, something that will strengthen us, Um, because as long as we're you know as long as there's division there's an opportunity for you know our opponent or enemies or you know however you may call them come in and really just create confusion and an opportunity to derail from the really important work that we have to do so these are sort of the things that I, I think about and you know I would just say like even in as we close out the important work that we have to do, and I think spaces like this, that where we really exemplify what unity looks like, I think is really important. But you know, it's obviously still much work to do, in, in, in the number of the spaces that occupy out, outside of uh, WCAP.
2: Sarah, I loved your question by the way, because I I, per, I don't think that I personally am somebody who's I can just really actively study disinformation and you know, can really speak to it and even its effects, you know, internationally, I, I I will speak more in a personal capacity after watching Netflix's Social Dilemma. And I just have to kind of raise that because that, I I think, opened my eyes to the fact that there is some, you know, how we're not regulating some are a very common source of information for our public. And it is, you know, if that just shows how we need to kind of change and adapt with, Time. And you can't do that if the people who are making your decisions and your regulators are do not reflect the change of times, which is they're older people. You know that's where that representation piece is, becomes very important. right? I think we need people from the next gen slash people, you know, diverse backgrounds, diverse policy perspectives, kind of represented to be able to speak to some of these issues. And I, I do think that's probably we're we're kind of probably stuck in a very old mindset. With how we, how much we we choose to think about what our public is consuming. And I don't think we are doing a great job from speaking from the CBRN space, um, weapons of mass destruction, you know, this, it's such an intimidating, like, policy area that we don't necessarily break it down to our public. Our, we often talk about why should our public care? And it's I find that really interesting because I feel like I I like that, you know, talking about the elections right now. I think it's very important for us to be able to break down these issues and talk to them. So in simple language with our public, it shouldn't be intimidating. They have a right to be able to talk about these issues because they have to then vote on these issues. They have to vote on who controls our nuclear codes. And I think that we are not doing a good job at ha- at allowing these conversations to take place on our dinner tables comfortably without it feeling like, oh, you I know, mean, my parents can't even explain what I do. <laughs> so we need to kind of reach a place where we are, I think, breaking down and being more inclusive in our conversations and our discussions. And I think that job is upon those of us who are in the community who speak the language to make sure that when we are talking about these issues, when we're writing, when we're publishing, are we doing it down to a way where it's understandable by everybody? Or do we want to sound smart and use big terms and big words? And I think that's something that we need to come to terms with in our own little national security uh, committee and be more inclusive uh, consciously. So now can we turn it over to Optimistic note. Um, I, I would love to kind of get, get a little perspective from everybody on where are we going from here? What, what, I, I know the country's very divided right now, but I think there's also a lot of reasons to be hopeful. And so I will switch it over to each of you to kind of share why are you optimistic right now? And if you are optimistic right now,
3: sure. I'll take a first stab at this, but it's really going to be just kind of repeating and uh, packaging some things that have already been said. I am optimistic. I think primarily because of the role the representation is going to have, or the effect that it's going to have over time. Like, not so much in the immediate term. I think it's going to take some maybe generational change or cultural change. But I mean, we we for example, you know, are the generation that grew up in high school and college, and you know, maybe younger with like Barack Obama as our president. It was totally normal to us to have you know an African American. Man sitting in the White House and conducting, you know, all, all international affairs. So I think that even for myself, like that had a profound impact on you know me seeing myself here in D.C. Um, in the foreign policy, national security space. And so I think, you know, that compounded with this um, upcoming generation, and even ourselves, you know, seeing um, you know, the next step, um, a woman of color in a position of authority and then um, as we've also talked about you know we expect to see lots of different uh, men and men and women of color occupying different spaces in government and so i just think about the effect that that's going to have on us you know to be able to more um, easily see ourselves all throughout government so the effect you know even if it's on our mindset and on our ability to see ourselves in positions of power i think makes me very excited very optimistic and i think it's going to be profound but probably something that we'll look back on and You know, ten years or more from now, and say, "Wow, that had a really big impact on me and on this upcoming generation." So that's that's why I'm
4: I'm hopeful for many reasons. I think, like on a personal level, just extremely hopeful for like my friends and family who do not have to face moving out of the country, for example. Just, I have a lot of colleagues in academia who are facing crazy visa issues and and the like collective stress. I just want to come back to that theme because I don't know, like the collective stress of the pandemic alone are probably going to have health effects forever. But the collective stress of five years on a lot of communities is like, is not nothing for mental health reasons and also physical health reasons. So I think that the fact that, you know, a lot of us will not need to stress about the White House as often as we did for five years is like a good thing and something I'm looking forward to. But I think more specifically to this community and the WCAPS community, I'm just so excited about the fact that. The momentum coming off of the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor protests is not going to be stunted. It's going to now have top-down leadership throughout the government that's going to try to make strides. And it's a long-term effort um, throughout all of the country, but it's just very exciting to see leadership that cares about this as opposed to the potential other pathway, which would mean that that momentum gets stunted again. So I'm just so excited about that.
1: I love that, Sarah, because you really, that's exactly thoughts and the sentiment that I was going to share as well is, you know, I'm optimistic um, due to the sense of belonging, but also, just the correlation um, that what we saw in terms of what was happening on the streets all across our country, that that made it to the ballot box. And I think that is something to be celebrated, that, you know, there was so much movement. And, you know, as, you know, political scientists, we think about these formal ways that, you know, we're involved in government and then the informal ways. And I think we saw those two things converge in, a, in this recent election. So I, I'm extremely optimistic that, you know, in, in a lot of sense, people came out to protest. They went to the ballot box and cast their votes for who they thought were really going to translate the rhetoric into action.
0: I'm just hopeful because I think the phrase promise of America has taken on such a tangible feeling for me over the last five years. And that has been members of WCAP who have sustained really engaging conversations and provided support during hard times over these last couple of years. It's the communities who went out of their way to make their voices heard. It's looking at the energy that we're seeing in this country right now. There are a lot of reasons why I think a lot of us feel like we should approach this with some sort of caution, cautious optimism, I I suppose. But I also want to believe that we are better than what we have been in the last couple of years. And I think that is so exemplified by the people I've met. In the campaigns I've worked on, and just even in the interim years, have just been such a good example of the resiliency of this country, and I have no doubt that if we continue with this level of engagement and and hope, honestly, we'll get somewhere that maybe some of us are just dreaming about now. And so I I remain hopeful.
2: Well, I, I mean, honestly, this is it's it's so wonderful to kind of hear from each of you. It's it, and and I think. There's that realism side where you're like, yeah, lots of work still left to be done. Of course, uh, all of our problems haven't just been solved, but we're definitely, we moved in the right direction. And we've, I think that's, that's the hope. There's a hope in the progress that we've made from maybe where we were four years ago to where we are now, to where we were for many years ago to where we are now. Um, it's always kind of, you know, taking one step at a time. And, and, and I think acknowledging that and, and I, I'm really, 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 I rather kind of have a level of hope than kind of have that taken away from me. And I do think that this is this kind of election this time around, the way it went, you can see it in many kinds of ways. There were things that were really disappointing about it. There were things that were so stressful about it. It wasn't easy, but there was also there's also reasons to be hopeful. Um, that we like, like Sarah, I think really nicely said, we now have a top down kind of optimism that we can have on some of the efforts and initiatives that I think we've been leading at a very grassroots level that we can now hope that we're represented a little bit better. Uh, and there's power to that representation. And I, I definitely want to acknowledge and, and, and I'm grateful, uh, for that, whether it be senior story in the BP elect or it be, just feeling that the policies that will now be created do not affect you on a personal level, where you can hopefully leave your home and feel a little bit safer, where hopefully your, your families will be united with you or, you know, families won't be pulled apart. The little simple things that I, I hope that, um, changes that we need, that we have needed, uh, for a long time. Um, and so I, you know, breathing a sigh of relief, but I think it's important for us to just hope for a better future. But yeah, but thank you so much, ladies, for joining. And Lauren, Sarah, Lisa, Erica, it's always a pleasure. And I'm sure we'll have another continue our podcast conversation with you soon. So thank you so much for joining.